We have been duped by feminism, sexual liberation, and antidepressants. We have been told that we are powerful and free now as women, but we feel tired, wired, and bitter. We're mostly eating right, exercising, and meditating, wrangling to-do lists, and arranging playdates, and yet there's a haunting hollowness beneath the huge complaints. What if I told you that there is a huge storehouse, a reservoir of energy inside of you that has not been tapped, that you could feel light and pulsing, excited and alive in ways that a wellness lifestyle cannot deliver, that you could trust yourself, that the world could feel safe and that unexpected and expected delights could start to illuminate your path. No coach, therapist, doctor, or guru required. Just you learning to get real, present, and attentive with you. I feel like I'm here to matchmake your inner parts for the greatest love affair ever written. I want to help you learn first where you're buying eggs from the hardware store, which is the source of all pain. I want to help you master entering through the upset, which is the only spiritual practice you'll ever need and to get real comfortable putting on your villain crown, which is, in my opinion, the key to true power. And then you'll attune to your inner yes so you can live the life defined by the specific pleasure of who you are. I am so excited to announce my latest book called The Reclaimed Woman, which is available for pre-order now. So if you head to the link in show notes, you can learn more about bonuses, events, and companion offerings. And I cannot wait to see your gorgeous face on the path. I'm Dr. Kelly Brogan. You may know me as a New York Times bestselling author of a book with an exploding pill on the cover, renegade psychiatrist, pole dancer, or honorary member of the Disinformation Dozen. What can I say? I'm a born provocateur. I've spent most of my recent life exposing deceptions, connecting dots, and discovering the secret places my inner victim is still waiting to be liberated. And now I feel called to help you reclaim all of your parts, your health, your sexuality, your power, and your expression so that you can finally truly own yourself. I want to ignite in you that inner knowing and the pulsing vitality that lives beneath your disempowerment, disconnection, and resentment so that you can audaciously, courageously, and playfully alchemize your struggle into the specific pleasure of who you are. This is Reclamation Radio, a Soul Fire production. The conversation that follows is from my incredible collection, Faces of Fierce Femininity, where I sat down with the 12 women who have inspired my embodiment journey for real, raw, and uncensored inspiration. You can purchase the collection at kellybroganmd.com and at the link in show notes. Today, I'm going to be speaking to Madeline Moon. And it's really funny to me because just before we started recording, we're talking about how when you're not ready to perceive something, it kind of just gets like filtered out, right? And Maddie came on my radar through Whitney, who's another woman in the salon, my coach. And we were talking about how does a woman express without words, right? Like, what does that even mean? 
that mean you throw shit? Does that mean you like just have tantrums everywhere? Like you just pout all the time? Like, what does that mean? And she started to share with me videos that Madeline had made on this exact subject. And I was hooked and I consumed basically like every free piece of content that was out there and then started to invest in her amazing, you know, little spaces and worlds in her platform. And I ultimately reached out to you at the end of my relationship, not knowing that it was the end because I had this stirring inside of me around something I'd been studying. You know, I've been listening to David data for 10 years obsessively, almost like a, like a security blanket. Like I'll just like turn on like a lecture or something. And so I've been steeped in his anyway, perspectives on polarity for a long time. And it always sort of brought up in me this dualistic experience of almost like shame and a deep desire to do better as a woman. And also mm-hmm. the longing, like the yearning for something My as my friend Charles would say, like my heart knows is possible. Right. And so I reached out to you because I wanted a polarity coach. And I thought that that was going to, you know, sort of fix everything. And I want to talk to you about, you know, the blind spots in the sort of polarity world. And you had reminded me that I was on your podcast. as like a guest on your podcast, I don't know, 10 lifetimes ago. And it was such a perfect example of like, there is, we probably had a great conversation. I don't even know. And there was no way I could even appreciate you at that stage, like appreciate what you represented or fully take you in. And so it was such an example of having to like spiral around and around and around until I feel, you know, at this point, I so see you woman, you know, like I so appreciate and see you and what you're bringing to this space is, is really essential. So I want to sort of unpack some of the big topics that I know you've spoken about and I've been to your various offerings on, but I want to start out with just kind of getting into this subject of polarity. And I'm assuming that most listening have heard of this either through me or elsewhere, but what does this mean to you? What does it mean in dynamic in terms of romantic relationship? And does it have relevance in the rest of life? Like, why should we know about polarity and its import? And maybe specifically as feminine essence beings as women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. So wonderful to be here. I love these full circle moments. Yeah. So polarity. In the world of yogic intimacy, so how can we create intimacy with our beloveds and with the world yogically? That's really what the David Data body of work of polarity speaks to. There's a couple different types of polarity, so I'll speak to that one first. That is looking at embodying these two poles, the feminine and the masculine. You can do that within yourself. Everybody has feminine and masculine. and If you fully enter one of those poles and your partner commits to fully entering the other pole, you create what is otherwise called yogic intimacy. And the feminine, if she, let's say it's a woman being in the feminine, if she totally takes on that pole, she becomes energy. So there's no more sitting still. If she's fully entering that pole, she's moving, she's revealing pleasure through her body, she's emoting sounds. And moment to moment, she's showing how she feels about something. 
Like maybe she she likes the way he's looking at her and she reveals that through her body. Maybe she doesn't like the way that he's looking at her and she reveals that through her body. So she becomes the embodiment of energy. There's no stoicness. There's no poker face. That would be more of like the masculine side. So then the masculine is depth, consciousness, a tree, standing perfectly still, breathing very, very, very deep. The more energetic she gets, the more or the deeper breath he invokes. So when we do this together in partnership, like in these moments, it gets really hot. Like it gets spicy. Like all of a sudden you kind of feel like you're having sex without even taking your clothes off. Mm -hmm. So that's one aspect of polarity. And it's a great, great, great thing to do when you're in a good relationship that wants to get better. It's like not the end all be all of fixing all the trauma, all the attachments, all the deep seated issues. And in fact, if you go to that and you think that's the answer to everyone listening to this, oftentimes it will mask those deeper issues and it'll actually make you feel as a feminine being more repressed mm-hmm. because you'll love those ideas of like, oh, I'm gonna and I'm gonna show my pleasure, I'm gonna move, I'm gonna be energy, I'm finally finding a place to have permission to reveal, like we're looking for that as women, we're looking for a place to reveal our emotions. And yet, if you find yourself back into that box, because it is a box in its own way, it's beautiful, it's rosy, it's sparkly, but it is its own box. You find yourself there and all of a sudden, all the things that aren't energy, like your stoicism or your depth or your lack of expression, all of that stuff then becomes wrong or bad. And it's almost like you dig this deep well if you go into polarity work before first looking at the unsexy safety work, just deep relational safety and consistency and like being each other's caretakers. So that's that's one of the, the worlds of polarity. And I'm not saying directly that, you know, David Data is teaching these things. I've actually never worked personally with David Data. I've worked with students of David Data. And I've been in this community for a long time. I just don't want to speak directly from what he teaches, but rather what's starting to happen in the polarity space. But then there's also much healthier versions of polarity. Like the way I like to think about it is just Shiva and Shakti, like energy and consciousness without the have tos or the musts or the gender roles that are kind of subtly insidiously snuck into this polarity world. Just Shiva and Shakti, like presence meets love and we can play with that to create sacred union like we can play with that as two equals coming together and then there's polarity in all the other ways of life like an avoidant attacher and an anxious attacher and you know longing for someone and also hating them and not wanting them to be around like having a beautiful moment with somebody that you just want to love for the rest of your life at the same time, knowing they're not the person for you. That's polarity. That's like holding two oppositions at once. So polarity is all around us. It's just like this the dichotomy, this opposition that we have to sometimes learn how to stretch and hold because the opposites can be so intense. And as I'm sure we'll get into today, there are pitfalls in what's starting to happen mm-hmm. in the romantic polarity realm that's kind of fusing in fusing in selfish desires and trying to make it look like it's sacred. 
this is such an essential, this topic, and as you've so beautifully depicted, to me is at the core of some of the deepest questions humanity is facing in this moment, right? So of course it has to do with optimizing your relationship, but the truth is that polarity can be war or it can be, you know, sacred union in the most organized and harmonizing complementarity. And, you know, I love how you depicted all of those things that are highly dysfunctional, toxic, you know, towards the end of, of my relationship, I was like really deep in embracing my inner Kali, right. And, and really deep in coming into you know, shameless embrace of my dark witch. And he was like flying into the light, right? Like <laughs> looking, you know, to transcend in all of these sort of like, you know, one love spaces. And that didn't work, right? Like it did not work because the polarization ultimately didn't offer a ready bridge, right? And so, so much of what I think you have experience with personally and professionally, and just being in this space is when and how is the bridge available, right? Like what are the conditions that create complementarity out of these vast differences versus just sort of like a nefarious, you know, version of, like you said, manipulative, indirect means of meeting needs and trying to find like the quick route to getting what you want and feeling Mm -hmm. in your power, you know, because I love the Shiva Shakti Offering because I think, and I want to talk about this, that so much of what feels available in a properly polarized relationship is turning into like a playground, what would otherwise be a battlefield. That's kind of it, right? And I'm very interested in, you know, BDSM and kink dynamics and and sort of like really finding like what is it to to play in those realms of really delineated domains. But the truth is, if I was just in a relationship where when something hurts, there was something alchemical that we could do together with it. That sounds fucking fantastic. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Sign me up. And I, and so I can almost anticipate like what it is that you've experienced that I want you to share, you know, how, how are you seeing, you know, data and, and others, they've been at this for decades, right? Like we've been marinating in these teachings that there is a way for a woman to get what she wants and for a man to get what he wants in dynamic, but it requires that you get out of your own way, right? It requires that you learn a different response to mm-hmm. habits of self-defense, you know, that you've acquired rightfully over your lifetime. And you may be seeing that there's like, like me, like people who want to just take the shortcut, the highway to having like a hot relationship where there's no conflict because we each know our place. So yeah. So, so what do you think people should, if they're interested in exploring you know, polarity dynamics in, in relationship, let's say, what do you think are some of the sort of like red flags to maybe you're not quite ready Yeah, Mm. or how it can be misused, misapplied, you know? Yeah. I think I'll speak to that. Some, some of the, I'll, I'll speak to some of the pitfalls that I just see in this space for it to be aware of. So number one is there's a lot of pressure on the feminine being to get to the truth of her heart, the deepest part of her heart that is in anguish or in longing or in pain. And anytime you have a problem with your masculine partner, reveal from that space. And there's even this teaching that I used to be a fan of. I I still think holds deep value of like moving from anger to anguish 
And I remember being taught that and, and like, there was so much deep value because there's stages people go through when they meet polarity, when they learn about polarity. So first it's like living in life and reaction, I think projecting onto people like, you know, you really like somebody, but they're not giving you the attention you want. So you project onto them and then like kind of push them away rather than just saying, ouch, you're not giving me the attention I crave. You know, so if you're in that place, learning about polarity can be super helpful because it'll show you how you're projecting your anger rather than bravely feeling your anguish, revealing that. And it's polarity will give you such a beautiful permission slip in order to go straight into the heart of an emotion. Then over time, once you start practicing that, you become more embodied in your anguish, in your desires in your purpose and your meaning, your what you say, your intentional, a really sneaky thing can start to happen. So in the polarity space, there's this one teaching that I've never really jived with, which is whatever the feminine being is saying, masculine being, always know that there's something underneath what she's saying. So there's something she's probably not awakened to. So she might be saying, hey, I don't like how you cut off the phone call so quickly, but she means something else. And that the masculine person's job to figure out what she means underneath that. Let me tell you, that can be very frustrating. Because sometimes it's gaslighting because you're like, I'm telling you, like, I'm like, you might first say, I'm telling you, I really want you to not da da da. And then they're like, you have a resentment underneath that and you're not awakened to it. And I need to help you find it. And then you're like, no, I'm telling you exactly what I mean because I'm a woman and I'm smart and I know what it is that I want and what I need to say to you because I've done my work. This is what I want. And then it's like what I what I have experienced is getting provoked, being like, you're resentful. You're not awoken to your own shit. You don't know this stuff. And like, then that's when the sharpness comes back. You end up back in the like, like I'm telling you, <laughs> this is what I need. And then- you're in like this totally out of polarity place you're back to that kind of square one place where it's like, see, like the, that I've experienced that then a masculine practitioner will say, see, you're not in your anguish, you're in your anger and you're not soft and you're not revealing from your heart. And maybe you were at the very beginning and you weren't trusted. So then this really dangerous cycle can happen where you're just going crazy because you're doing your work, you're revealing your heart, but it's not perhaps, not always, but perhaps to some beings out there, it doesn't feel feminine enough. It doesn't feel at your core enough. So you get provoked until you become sharp as a feminine woman. And it's the very thing you were trying not to do. And this is, I believe a lot of this comes from that one teaching that she's not awakened to her own truth and that it's the masculine person's job Because if he takes that role, he's actually making up a story, which is the irony. If he takes on the role as whatever she's saying is not her deepest truth, because she's basically a child and a baby, and there's something underneath it, he's making up a story in his head about what she needs. We're back into projections. So I don't like that teaching in the polarity world because it's actually making men not believe what their women are saying and making women actually not believe what they're even saying. That makes sense. And it sounds like there's not really a role for anger, right? Or or even right. expression of, of rage as 
a mm -hmm. navigational guidance system for this man to recognize if he is himself out mm -hmm. of alignment, right? Because I, I think of that, that's very, I haven't heard that teaching. And I think of women as having like preternatural abilities to perceive beneath, mm -hmm. you know, beneath yeah. the surface. And what we do with that depends a lot mm -hmm. on how we deliver that information and mm -hmm. how it's received. And those dynamics, of course, I'm sure you would agree, have a lot more to do with trauma than with anything else. And certainly are not like necessarily behavioral strategies. You can just simply, you know, put lipstick on a pig, you know, sort of like plop onto your pre-existing mess. It's because if, what I'm saying is that women can also manipulate men. I certainly have that way. Totally. Like we see something that, you know, they don't agree with, or they don't perceive themselves, but we know that it's real and true because we have that shadow perception ability to insist. I mean, it's, it is gaslighting, right? So mm -hmm. I could see how that could cut both ways and, and make it very restrictive, especially if, if the only thing you're allowed to offer is, you know, the pout, right? Or like, right. The the pout. Yeah, exactly. That's like, you can't like, don't use your words, you know, cause you're, right. if you, anytime, and it is true. Like if we're looking at polarity, anytime you say, I need da da da, like if, if I'm a woman, I am. And I say, I need you to please do this. I am guiding. I am leading. I'm in the masculine. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. And there are many polarity teachers, including myself, who will lay that out and have no judgments. We just encourage awareness so that you can start to see the dynamics. Oh, now you're in the masculine. And he might, if he goes and does that thing as in the feminine, it doesn't matter. There's nothing wrong with that at all. It only becomes a problem when there are teachers saying, oh no, don't say I need that because now you're in the masculine. And then the teacher puts judgment on it or a teaching puts judgment on it. It's totally fine. You should always have the ability to say, I need X, Y, Z. You should always know that you are free to talk. You don't always have to make sound or make a face to like demonstrate how you feel. And if you find yourself, which I certainly did in a place where you're learning polarity and you feel bad or you feel non-feminine for speaking your truth and you start to get like super just confused and manipulated in your own mind about, I need to say something, but I can't say it. So I need to reveal it in an artful way. Over time, it's possible you'll start to resent the very person that you're trying to do that with because there are reflections of you of the ways that you, you can't speak your truth or you are afraid to speak your truth, even if they're not even asking you not to speak. They might not even know anything about polarity. But if you're in a partnership where you feel that way, that's part of your initiation is to learn how to include polarity, all the good parts in your life of how to be energy, how to reveal pleasure, how to be sovereign without having to trade it for your voice, your power, your like mother crone soul, you know? And I, there's one other thing I wanted to say is that this teaching around, she doesn't know, she's not speaking what's really true for her. I think that also feeds in a bit to the ideal maiden archetype. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's the maiden, there's the mother, and there's the crone. And maiden energy is beautiful. Like it's so fun to play in the realm of maiden to like look at your beloved with the eyes of devotion and innocence and love. But it's only one of the three flavors. You can also look at your partner through the eyes of mother, like penetrating mother, no bullshit mother, oracle mother, mama bear mother. And then you can also move into crone, wise, at ease, sitting on her throne. You come to her. So there's these three different, there's many more archetypes, but those are three of the main ones that many people know about. And 
I think there is a lot of teachings that are formulated through the lens of a masculine being being with a maiden archetype of like the woman who needs to throw temper tantrums when she's upset or like, you know, needs to reveal the pouty face or doesn't know her deepest truth. I don't think that's an issue with any specific teacher, just like a patriarchal pattern that's happening once again. We're finding ourselves in this place. And what if we stopped looking at the feminine as the maiden and start looking at the feminine as the trinity, as Shakti, as uncontainable, unabashed Shakti? Absolutely. I mean, I think that this is, it's part of the woundology of, it's the mother wound, right? It's part of like the consuming vagina dentata of the mother that mm. most men who've been castrated by their mothers, you know, mm. need and require of women that they be subdued and submitted. And again, you know, there can be a lot of play that can come mm. from, you know, that being at least even contextualized in certain elements. But I think when these dynamics take on uniformity throughout the entire experience of a relationship, there must be, I mean, I've never experienced it personally, but there must be a sense of loss of self that can be extraordinary, you know, like the bliss of annihilation, or it can be very disorienting. And Mm -hmm. that resentment seems like it, it could crop up very quickly. I mean, I wonder how you think about, I've heard you talk about your your needs. I've spoken a lot about the needs that I didn't even know I had, honestly, in, in relationship because I was one of those bitches who was like, I'm low maintenance, you know? And when you don't recognize that these needs are in whatever stage of integration or honoring or acknowledgement that they are, and the needs are not being met, we manipulate to get them met, right? We find mm-hmm. ways to try to be right about how much it hurts, you know, to not mm-hmm. have that, right? So, you know, obviously in data's teachings and I'm sure others, there is like, that's the second stage, right? Like the first stage is like the me, me, me. And then the second stage is like, okay, let's discuss our needs and negotiate and we'll see how compatible we are. And it's really unsexy and it's really tempting, you know, to like fly over that stage into the third stage where everything is just like magic and sorcery. Mm. And you're in this alchemical like playground with your partner. And as you're saying, you know, there is absolutely a time and a place for the rightful articulation of Mm. of those needs. What I found interesting, especially with girlfriends of mine who have been exploring different models of relationship is what do you think defines a need, right? A relational need, because there is a lot of, you know, sort of psycho-spirituality that really helps us to attune to the meeting of our own needs, right? So how do I fundamentally learn how to provide safety for myself so that I can at least recognize when I'm being matched in dynamic and not require that from the outside in, for example, or what about like monogamy and fidelity? Like what if you think you have a need for monogamy? Like I'm thinking of one of my girlfriends and, and there's a lot of deep spiritual work that could arise from loosening that brain and seeing what it is that comes up right? What is the fear? Do you really need that? Right? Like what are the conditions that are required? Is it that you just need to be the number one, right? Like just need that connection. Or is it that it's the energetics of like sexuality with other people? Like how do you identify your needs and what role do you think that they play in sort of the building of intimacy 
with, let's say, even a new partner? Is it the kind of thing you talk about on the first date, you know, like break your list out or whatever? Or is it the kind of thing that you do, you know, what I say is like enter through the upset, like you find the places that hurt and the moments that feel bad and you learn something about what you needed, you know, in that mm-hmm. moment that, that wasn't met, you know, like how do you mm-hmm. relate to these relational needs, I guess. Such a great question. I'm definitely someone who enters through the upset. I like the way that you phrase that. That's like, I have, I have like a running note in my phone where I like write things down once I learn them about myself and I don't pull it out and show, but I, I like, I don't even remember like, what are my top needs right now? But they're in my body. Like my body knows. And I'm at that space where I've done like, I think, you know, if we're looking at the chronological order of how we grow into our needs. It's definitely every relationship takes us closer and closer and closer and closer. I think it's really hard, 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 hard. It's not impossible if you're doing the work even a little bit to go backwards. So like go back in all of my relationships, they've always been upgrades moving forward. And, and sometimes when I say upgrade, I don't mean a smarter, more successful, taller man but more so that a deeper experience. And so this last relationship was one of the deepest, deepest relationships I've been in. It is the deepest relationship I've ever been in. And it's very karmic. I didn't realize that till the end. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's karma. Like that's karmic stuff. Cause like the love was so massive, so much love and devotion for this human even from the minute I saw him, I was like, I'm going to follow you because I'm devoted to you. I love you so much. <laughs> I didn't really know it at the time, but my body did. It was just like, I oriented towards him. And that was a very, very, very interesting experience that took me very deep because when you're a, you know, I consider myself a very powerful woman, not as in like, I can create everything I want, but like, I came out of the womb knowing who I was. There was power and like, I know what I'm here to do and I'm going to do it. No one's going to get in my way. Like that's kind of how I came into this world. And then I met this man who all of a sudden I was like, I don't know who I am anymore. Like I'm going to, what is he doing? Like I literally, this is the only way I can describe it because I would orient my whole energetic field towards him. I still am pulling off the tendrils of that. Like I still can feel him. I can feel what he's doing right now. There's like a weird psychic energy. And like, that took me super deep. Like I didn't have that. I've never felt devotion in the way for a a human man, like I did for him and do for him still, there's still like essences of that in my body. And for me, like what I'm here to do is be in devotion. Like that feels like it's my, my gene keys, life's work. It's my purpose. It's everything is devotion. And to be in devotion to a human being who created so much beauty and also so much pain and lose myself in ways in the process was an initiation of a lifetime. I experienced so much and I never would have received that initiation of choosing me. So I had to, in the end, make a decision to choose me. Yes. And that has rippled into my work that has rippled into, you know, I bought a home out of the breakup, like all this stuff has happened. And that was a massive capacity stretcher to walk away from something I was so devoted to a human being I was so devoted to and, and turn that devotion to myself. Yeah. It was painful. It like felt like cutting off a limb in a way, but I did it. And like karma has been 
like my ancestry in some way has been cleared, like some massive shit has been cleared. And that, you know, that the need, the need in that is a little bit harder to put into words because it's like this, it's like this massive core experience that I know I'm going to be taking in all of my experiences moving forward. And I wouldn't trade anything in the world. And I'm glad I didn't get need in that because it's showing me it put in my body what it feels like for me to meet those needs myself. And I'm doing it now because I didn't have that. So if you leave a relationship and you're like, okay, glad that's over. going to go date again. You like skip over that whole deep experience, which so many women do because they're afraid to feel you're going to keep staying in that loop of like not figuring out your needs. But if you actually let the pain, the painful experience of love that isn't enough to be a lifetime love, you know, love is this love is that this person is so beautiful, but yet it's not meeting my needs. You could actually let the pain of that experience be like a garden and the soil is super fertile. You can start to put in the seeds of what you're taking a stand for in your next relationship. And I talked about this the other day in one of my classes where I think breakups are a lot like sex magic. Like you're blasted open in both experiences. And some people plant, I want a car, I want this, like in the minute of their orgasm because their field is so vulnerably open. It's a great time to plant seeds. Sex magic is an amazing way to manifest. So are breakups. So are fights. Because you're so open, you're so activated. So if you plant seeds of like, I'm a woman who takes a stand for equality. I'm a woman who takes a stand for non-reactivity. I'm a woman in those moments, you get, you can create it in a way that you cannot create it when you're just in the second stage trying to like analyze, you do this, and I do that. So you, the, the key to that is being brave enough to feel being brave enough to take off, like, you know, clear the moat, the crocodile infested waters around your heart, and let yourself actually feel the agony and the pain of not having something, not feeling free, not feeling liberated. Like you want to feel like free and liberated and love. And if someone is trying to put you in a box, you need to be able to feel the heartbreak of not being free in order to plant seeds for yourself, not for being a feminine goddess of love and light, but just for you to reclaim what it is you are taking a stand for. So yeah, I mean, this is going to be a transcript of my inner, my inner story. I mean, it's, I relate so, so deeply to literally every single word that you've said. And it's funny because I know I've heard you use the phrase twin flame and I used to, mm-hmm. and, and now my preference is karmic flame for sure. Mm-hmm. Because the perfection of these relationships could not be designed. It literally could not be designed yeah. from the place of desire for a partnership, right? So every single aspect, including in, you know, in my experience over the past, you know, nine or, or so months, every single aspect has delivered me access to yet another piece of myself, yet another awareness of how I am abandoning myself, betraying myself, abusing myself. And experiencing that, you know, mirrored back. It's an extraordinary space. And I've been celibate since. Um, and of course, mm-hmm. working with the fear that I will never have the love I want. Mm-hmm. The love I want is too audacious. It doesn't exist, you know, like get over it, Kelly, or whatever. And and in that vulnerability comes 
so much access to this Shakti, mm-hmm. the vital force energy that otherwise would have been locked in the realms of chronic unsafety, frankly, because until we can learn, right, as you're saying, to have this fluid relationship to our feeling states, to this associated sensations, until we rebuild that trust with ourselves, until we create the basic conditions for safety in our own life experience, there's like a very low ceiling on the pleasure, creativity, expansion, joy that's even possible, right? So a lot of what you teach and talk about is related to creating art, you know, out of this kind of pain. Mm -hmm. And that naturally like arose from my experience where literally like the week after in massive, like I didn't leave my house probably for three weeks, just crying, you know, in like fetal position. And literally like in the rumblings of that space, what was the desire to like create videos and start dancing in different ways and then to start writing about, you know, different things. And certainly I wondered a couple of times on my like third article, you know, like while I was like sniveling, I was like, am I avoiding something here? Like, is this a bypass? And so I'd love for you to talk about like the best relationship to have Mm. to what I think is invariably the creative impulse that comes if we don't jump into, you know, a new relationship in the wake of heartache, or if we don't try to recruit millions of addictions that are at our fingertips to not feel the bad thing. And of course, we're talking about breakup, but this could apply to any loss, any transition. You know, I, I say that these moments of expansion come when you lose something you think that you would die without, right? That's almost mm-hmm. the signature. It's almost the hallmark. So what is a healthy relationship to creativity and to making art from your struggle, do you think? Mm -hmm. Beautiful question. So I think, you know, one of the ways that I think about heartache, loss, desire, any emotion that is traditionally too intense for people to really sit with or want to sit with because it like stirs something in the soul, that's life force, life force, like your chi. It's your chi. It's like what brings you to life. And it's looking for a place to go. So, you know, sometimes when our life force comes up, so let's call it anger or something, like anger comes up because something unjust is happening and it wants to come through. And if we don't know how to own our own experience of that life force, because we're in a polarity world where we're not supposed to be angry, we're only supposed to have anguish or we're afraid that our experience is going to cause a reaction in our partner and we want to walk on eggshells to ensure they don't do that. Or we're just confused if our anger is is just, and we're kind of gaslighting ourselves. Like, am I allowed to feel this anger? Or am I being a crazy woman? Any of those and more that I'm not listing, when it comes up, if we have that stuff, it kind of like creates a dam, then the life force doesn't dissolve. It just has to go back in. And so it just changes its direction. And oftentimes it causes us to collapse on ourselves. And when you were speaking earlier to the ways that we as women can sometimes manipulate as well, because of course we can, that's one of my go-tos that I would do in my previous partnership. Instead of standing in my experience and just owning it and letting the chips fall where they may, if he didn't like it, you know, he would figure it out. I would power. And then I would go into like, again, the maiden archetype or something, just kind of being like, and then I would get more love from that place because that was a softer, sweeter. And I started to learn that after a while. If I just kind of cower, like I'll I'll do something big. And then if I kind of collapse that 
life force back in on myself and my shoulders, you know, and I'm, I'm sorry, you know, like, or like a cry or whatever. It's like easier for him to deal with that and to work with that. And then now it's like, oh, there you are, you know? So then I started to, it didn't start with him. It started with my family. So it's not him. He was just a really beautiful initiation to remind me that that's a pattern of mine I need to fix. It's not even about him. He's fine. It's about me and how I react to others around me when they can't handle my expression. You know, initiation again. So it would go down and I started to notice this. Like, oh, it would like, like the, the life force would go collapse in on myself and it's keeping me in this cycle. And so creativity was always something it's always been a path of healing for me ever since I was little and my really challenging family dynamics, I would write, I would make something, I would play music. It was just a way I would write poetry. I started a poetry blog when I was like the most depressed part of my life and none of it made sense, but to me it did. And it was like, this is a way that I can channel my grief and my sadness and my emo-ness. And to me personally, some people disagree. I've had people in my own masterminds being like, are you avoiding just grieving and just feeling? That's not, it's never been natural to me to only do that for periods of time, to only grieve for periods of time because I do it, but I mix it in with ways that my life force can move. Some days I was in bed watching, is it cake on Netflix, eating cake? And like, that was my grieving process. But then the next day I was like, I'm going to make a video because I have to move this out because I would feel it in my body. It was just like, it's stuck. Like, I mean, who, I might, I would start with spotting and bleeding. Like it would move down because my womb would need to get rid of it. And that happens for me a lot. If I'm not really creating out of my life force, I'll start to spot, I'll start to bleed. And it's like a way that my body is like, we're not going to go this way. We're going to go this way. We're going to move out in some way. But it is to me, one of the most potent, beautiful times to make pieces of art. And in fact, my (laughs) very short story, I wrote a book in December with my, you know, my my previous partner, we were still together. And the week we first broke up, because it happened a few times, I found an editor of my dreams. He was amazing. And he, he read my book and he was like, this is a great book and you need to write it over. You need to start again because there's not enough structure. And this is the same week. I'm watching Is It Cake in my bed. And I'm like, how am I supposed to grieve the love of my life at the same time that I write a book about love? Like, there's no way I can do this. But then I was like, actually, this sounds great. Like, I have a really clear channel. Let's just let it all come through. And it was it was challenging. It's not the ideal time that to write a book in my logical mind. But I'm so proud of what has come out because I've I just finished the last final draft two days ago. And so this whole breakup, this book has been rewritten and edited and worked on. And like all of the stuff that I was unpacking and feeling was moving through in this book. And there was a part of me that was like, is this the worst time to write this? And then I just think about all of the artists of the past, all the music that has been born, all the books that have been created, all the paintings that have been done that have come through during these extreme states. And this is the only way I want to live. I mean, I I don't think it's avoidance. I think it's avoidance only if you are compartmentalizing and separating the part you're fragmenting, the part of you that is in pain from the art. 
But if you don't fragment and you combine them and you let the part of you that is in pain live alongside the part of you that longs and lives alongside the part of you that is in ecstasy and you move all of that together through a medium, it's how you heal. It's not in a disservice to healing. It's where the healing happens. And I encourage everyone to have less overanalyzing of that process and more trust. Just do it. Just make it. Just try it out. Experience it. Don't think too much about it. I love that. It's such a perfect example. First of all, I'm so excited for your book. And it's such a perfect (laughs) example of like, who are you to think you know Mm -hmm. what the best timing is for this? The best timing is the timing that it's presenting itself to you. And all of the reasons, you know, you could ultimately rationalize. I mean, it's such an example of like the victim story you could have come up with, you know, about it. That could have really stalled you in the water. And instead, you just alchemized such an extraordinary way. And I'm sure energetically that's going to be felt in every word, Mm. you know, in that manuscript and... Yeah. And I, and I love your encouragement to just, just like make something, do something and follow, you know, for me, it was like really restoring trust in the impulse, right? Because especially when you have the I'm too much program, you doubt, you judge, you scrutinize, you assess, analyze every impulse, creative impulse that comes through you. You, you try to anticipate how it might be received and whether or not you might be punished for it. Right. And I think Mm like very deep woundology for a lot of women because of our vital well, people, I'll say our vital force and sexual energy being coupled with something that is, you know, shameful or dangerous or unwelcome or otherwise makes us vulnerable to violation. And it's just such a confusing territory. And to heal that dynamic in these simple ways of just really honoring the the movement of energy into creativity. I love it. I love the message and it, it's real. It works. Mm-hmm. So you talked about this is probably gonna unfortunately be our, our last question, but you talked about how, you know, I could like watch you move your body in response to these different kind of energetic states of, you know, you called it taking a stand, like that sort of like taking up room, like becoming bigger, expanding versus sort of like channeling the energy back down, even strategically or manipulatively. And so you could get the cookie, right? Like that's what I call it because I'm mm. Same way. And, and it was very valuable to learn how to soften, right? Mm-hmm. When I wanted to be hard. So it's, it's all for, for growth. And I know just a bit about what you've shared publicly on your historical relationship to your own female body mm-hmm. over your life has not always been this self-attuned, self-possessed, compassionate, loving, and in allegiance, right? To yourself. You've had a very different relationship to your body and one that might be described as sort of like a power over, right? Kind Mm -hmm. of dynamic historically. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about like, what do you think it took to, like I experienced you as such an embodied woman, like full range of energies. And what did it take? Like how, how do you think you saw the opportunity to really lay down the armor in the very specific way that you were wearing it? Mm. Are you speaking kind of around that era of my life of being a bodybuilder? Yes. <laughs> okay. Just yeah. want to make sure. Oh man. Yeah. There was such a judgment. I wanted to be a boy, like not even a man. I just wanted to be a boy. There was a part of me that was just like from being raised in this patriarchal, you know, Dallas, Texas from a very conservative family who was very Christian, but not even just Christian, like Christian mixed with borderline narcissism. And like, you know, like God was actually my mother and she would, you know, speak for God in so many ways that were very manipulative and confusing. 
And all the messages that I received around this ultimately led to women are servants, they are to be obedient, they are less than men, and any woman who takes a stand in a way that only men can are not going to go to heaven, they're going to go to hell. And I became a bodybuilder as a way to channel my self-hatred. That was my, that was the way the life force could move through me at that time. I had no other tools. I had only eating disorders and I had working out. So either like my life force was not eating and kind of controlling like my manipulating my body in that way, or moving it through with pumping iron and like competing and being one of the guys who like doesn't feel feelings. And I was eating at one point in my life, 238 grams of protein a day. Like that is a lot. And talk about for me at 110 pounds, which is crazy for my height and tall, that created like this deep, deep, just like lack of feeling, furrowed eyebrows, couldn't feel anything below my belly button. There was no sex turn on. There was no desire. And I think one of the first things that cracked me open at that time of my life was there was a moment after the second competition that I did where I remember just feeling this deep, deep grief of like, wow, I'm 22. This is the time I'm supposed to be the happiest, the most full, radiant. And I hate myself. I hate myself. And I hate all these judges standing at their little desk, rating my body. And I, I, I felt just a little bit of anger in that a little bit of anger at myself for like giving this panel of six people permission to tell me like what my body ranked as anger at myself and anger at them. And then she's like, I, but then I felt it. And then I allowed myself to feel that anger and let it catalyze me into a new place. And from that place, everything was born. Everything was born from that little spark of grief, self-loathing and anger. So I'm so glad that I could feel that because it made me wake up and realize I can't feel myself. Where do I start and where do I stop and why do I keep looking to this random group of people to tell me and men and men personal trainers who would circle my body in the problem areas and like I just felt loathing all around just like eh. I want to feel what what is me I want to feel that and so that was 2023 20, probably when that moment happened and I found teachers to teach me about feminine embodiment. And I'm so deeply grateful because it learned, it taught me how to experience expression and like, oh, I know exactly how I feel about things now. Whereas before I couldn't, I couldn't feel anything. And now I'm like, I don't like that. Or I like that. Or I need this. Like I can honestly own my experiences of life and the places where I still gaslight myself or feel confused they're they're like really deep because all the surface level stuff has been pretty much healed but now the issues that do come about are super super deep and invisible and it's like kind of a trippy area to be in where just like what's feminine what is it really and I'm I'm feeling it as an invitation to step in deeper and it's exciting and it's expansive but all that to say, like to answer your question, I really am grateful to those less than stellar emotions because they're what kicked off all the beautiful pleasure and bliss and sexual intimacy that I now feel is so accessible. But it started with just owning my anger around not being able to feel myself when I was 22. And from that feeling, even that tiny little ember, 
a whole fire was built, which has led me here today. So beautiful. Yeah, I've talked about that. I think we all experienced that moment, maybe several of, I think of it as like a dark feminine initiation, like when you finally Mm -hmm. get to the place where you can stand in that like righteous fuck now, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and really align with yourself, you restore, you know, that connection. Mm -hmm. And it's, I so relate having never been a bodybuilder, but even just like an intellect, like just being somebody who identifies as an intellectual who literally I was totally unaware of a single emotion I ever had other than being mm-hmm. void <laughs> for like my entire life prior to, you know, five years ago. So I, I think this is very valuable, right? Because I think otherwise we can sort of get the idea, like you were kind of born this way, you woke up this way or not, right? Like that's for her, that works for her. But like, what about me? I don't even know what I feel. Like, what does that even mean? And, and to know that there is an arc, right? There is a journey, there is the process of accessing mm-hmm. that and the armoring that is, is very almost archetypal. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. it. So on the heels of that, Madeline, I'd love to, I'd love for you to share. I'm asking everyone this question. What is your favorite tool that mm-hmm. brings you into your body? Like, let's say you were to go back, slide back somehow into that, you know, place of self recrimination or loathing or, you know, start to even interact with your own body that way or interact with the world in this, you know, sort of like warfare energy. What do you do? What works for you to bring yourself back home? Mm -hmm. Well, I have to be on brand with this question. (laughs) For me, it would be creativity. It would be turning water into wine. It would be looking for the ways that I can be an alchemist of my own life not just creativity of like, not just, I mean, just creativity. All creativity is beautiful. What I'm speaking specifically to though, is looking at where I hold pain or longing or desire and how can I make something either for myself, for a beloved or for the world that I get to blast out through that very experience, because that's the way to heal for me and for a lot of people. So I would have to say that. I love that. This has been such a nourishing conversation. I don't use that word because I kind of find it gross. However, it's really, <laughs> what comes to me and it really has, I feel just mm-hmm. like, yeah, saturated with so much wisdom and I really enjoy being in your energy. So thank you so much. We, there were many topics we didn't even get to. I wanted to ask you about money and so many things that are, you know, things that you've shared your perspective on. So I encourage everyone to check out, you know, your offerings and head over to see what you're up to next. Cause I know you're like me always on, always on to some new tip. And, and that is the creative arc, right? Of feminine. It's so dynamic and ceaselessly captivating and you embody that. So thank you so much for being here and for this conversation. Thank you, love. Thank you for having me.